Your scripture today is from Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Matthew 12, 1 through 13. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known that these, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Good morning. I'm Heather, if you don't know me. One of the pastors here, just welcome. Lots of papers on here. I'm going to put them on the floor because they might get mixed up. That would be unfortunate. Can't have that. We are in a new series and we're talking about identity. Um, and if you weren't here last week, Johnny kind of laid the foundation of what it means for us to live into, step into, and have embraced the identity that we've been given in God. Um, and so we're going to follow up from that. The series is called I Am Not. And we're countering the I am nots that we can say about ourselves with the truth of what God says about who we are as people individually and then collectively. And there's a lot of what shapes our identity, or a lot of what shapes our identity, is how we narrate who we are. The stories that, you know, find their way circling around our heads, and a lot of our identity is framed and shaped by how we narrate who we are. Identities are also shaped by how we narrate other people, the stories that we tell about others and the stories that we tell about ourselves are often where we find and establish and rehearse our identity, who we are, what we're about, what we think of ourselves. And I've been reading this book called Us. Um, what a great title, yeah? The idea of getting away from you and me to the idea of yeah, us. I feel strongly about community. This morning when the whole team is working on trying to get this thing, I'm like, yeah, it's team, team. The more people doing it, the more likelihood of people having the information, the more likelihood that we'll get our screens going. Like, fantastic. Like, the us, the collective, is powerful. The resources are shared. There's a lot of good. And I just want to give a shout out to all the people that were working really hard today. 
Yes, yes. Because in those moments of panic, there are stories that we can tell ourselves about ourselves, our competencies. And so even in this moment this morning, I'm sure, lots of rehearsing going on internally. But anyway, back to what I'm talking about. Um, the sermon. <laughs> the book, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Us by Terence Reel. And he was talking about, it's quite a funny anecdotal story. He was talking about back when his kids were little, And he went to a dinner. He attended a dinner where there were lots of people. And he said, or I'm kind of paraphrasing, slightly quoting what he says. He's like this youngest youngest parent that he hadn't seen in a while. Like he struck up a conversation with him at dinner. And he's like, right away, he noticed that the guy had lost some weight and he was looking really fit. And he said, I became acutely aware of my own body. And I spun into a vortex of shame. He's like, I felt fat and old. He's rocking the dad bod. Yeah. Thank, exactly. Oh, he said in that moment, he like postured himself down. He went kind of downwards. He's like, and then suddenly, the story, he recalled that this man came from money. He's never worked a day in his life. Sure, I thought, he has time to look great and go to the gym with family money paying the bills. And he's like, every penny, every penny I've made, I've earned. And then he's like, I also noticed from up there, looking down on him, that I had more hair than he did. <laughs> right? Goes from this down posture, all of a sudden he's like climbing up and he's like, now I'm looking down on the person in front of me. And then he's like, from up there, he's like, but then he's like, in my head, I'm thinking, dude, this guy's rich. And then he's thinking to himself, I'm not rich. Why am I not rich? Why did I not get that kind of money? And he says, like, I went back and forth, up and down, until I snapped out of it. And I told myself, hey, why not listen to what the guy standing in front of you is trying to say? Right? All of this stuff that's going on in his head that is how he's forming and shaping his identity, how he's projecting onto the other person, all of a sudden he's like, I need that all to get quiet so that I can encounter the human that is in front of me. And our stories that we rehearse about ourselves and others, they can swing us up and down, right? All day long, all day long, on the daily, on the minutely, like changes depending on who's in front of us depending on the circumstances that we've lived through or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. This is happening in our brains on the daily. And it's revealing a lot about our identity, who we think we are, and who we think other people are. There's a a definition of contempt that Terence Reel talks about after he says this story. And he likes to define contempt in this way. He says, think of it like a flashlight. When the beam of contempt swings out toward you, we call that grandiosity. That's not right. When it swings out towards others, we call that grandiosity. I can't believe what an idiot that guy was. When the beam of contempt swings back toward me, 
we call that shame. I can't believe what an idiot I am. It's the same feeling that moves our beam back and forth. And it's sometimes expressed in the same words. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. No, you're the idiot. Wait, I'm the idiot, right? Or whatever else we want to use to fill the phrase that we're using in that moment where we're standing. And shame is so present to us, it goes on and on and on, and the thing that it tells us about ourselves is that I am not enough. And it doesn't feel good when that story is living inside of us and being rehearsed around us. And uh, the same is true of grandiosity, but it's the story that tells us that we are better than the person that is in front of us or the people, or the society, whatever. But it generally feels good when we're one up, if we're not paying attention. Because it's not the message that I am not enough, it's the message that you are not enough. And we start to get big. And sometimes we mask our smallness by getting big. And we can know that feeling that we feel, but it doesn't always help us to stop the stories that we're telling. Which is why we need to stop and pay attention to the identities that we're taking and the identities that we're projecting. And we also need to practice. We need to practice to raise ourselves up from spaces of shame and inferiority and we need practice to come down from our even subtle grandiosities. Oh, yeah, I'm looking better than you are today. <laughs> we need practice to come down from that. And the reason that we need practice to come up from places of shame and down from places of superiority is because we cannot love from above and we cannot love from below. And so it is really important that we practice deep-seated, secure identity because we cannot love from above and we cannot love from below. And there are all kinds of circumstances that can activate stories that drive us up or push us down. Work, parenting is often a big one. Relationships, family, Maybe there's one in your mind that you can capture right now. A context, an environment, a relationship that just has you feeling better than or feeling not enough. Church can be one of those contexts too. And the Bible teachers in Jesus' time were characterized by their sense of superiority. They came from a, this sense of strictness and discipline, which was actually perfectionism. And I honestly think their intent of this was good. They wanted God to be pleased. They wanted their activity to please God, and they wanted their behaviors to appeal 
to God being pleased with them. But it got out of hand. It moved them towards a kind of perfectionism that was damaging to identity. And it becomes burdening. Burdening not only to them, but burdening to the people around them. And so Jesus uses these words in this context. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's a beautiful invitation. And I think we all need it. We all need to experience unburdening. And the context of the passage actually helps us to understand why Jesus is using these words. The words come at the end of Matthew chapter 11, and then immediately we move into Matthew chapter 12. And if we look at either side of what these words are saying, it helps to highlight what these words can mean to us. So what immediately follows these words of invitation to come and be unburdened, to experience rest, to not have anything that is ill-fitting placed on you, but instead to have that which is light, the passage that immediately follows is about Sabbath, which is actually the practice of rest. Sabbath is the practice of rest. And the disciples of Jesus are like wandering about, and the disciples get a little bit hungry, and they grab some grain, and then they eat the grain because they are fancying a little snack. Seems like a really good idea, right? But the Pharisees, who are the religious people at the time, I like to call them the burdeners the burdeners show up. We all have burdeners in our lives, right? In that context, these folks were the burdeners. The burdeners. They watch it and they have some commentary about it. Look, it's against the law to do this on the Sabbath day, but your disciples are doing it anyway. So much contempt. That beam is bright, right? Jesus, if you knew anything about the law, you would get these people in line. Burdeners. So Jesus, love him, says, haven't you read about what David did? That's in verse 3. And then he says, haven't you read the law? (laughs) So cool. And then he says, Scripture says, I want mercy and not sacrifice. You don't know what those words mean. If you did, you would not bring charges against those who are not guilty. Jesus helps them 
and he helps them using a language that they are very familiar, texts that they know in and outside. Little winky, have you read that story about David? They're all like, I certainly have. Have you read, have you read the law? Uh, you know we've read the law. We actually memorized it. Yeah. You know that scripture in Hosea that says about mercy and sacrifice? They're like, yep. He uses the stories and the rules that they are using against the disciples, and he points out that they have lost their true value and meaning. In their spirit of correctness, they have lost the reason and intention behind God's way of being and living. They have lost sight of their own humanity, and they have lost the humanity of those around them. And the point here isn't that Jesus is glossing over guilt, not at all. Because these people are burdening those who are not guilty with an accusation of guilt. We don't have to do something wrong to feel guilty. Shame might call us into a feeling of guilt. Especially when that beam, that contempt comes from somebody who has power over us, who knows more than we do about a particular topic, or who we've given power to, which we can give power to anyone, to name us, to give us an identity. And anyone that we do that to has the power to then be a burdener. I wonder what the disciples felt in this moment. They have this one called Jesus that they trust, and then they have these religious people who they are meant to respect. Maybe they did feel like they'd done something wrong. Maybe shame rose up in them, and they're like, oh yeah, we didn't do that right. Jesus is so kind here. Nope. Nope. Had no. That's the wrong kind of identity-shaping power that they are taking. And we will say no to it. It actually gets worse, unfortunately, as the story goes on. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue. A man with a weak and twisted hand was there. The Pharisees were trying to accuse Jesus of a crime. So they asked him, does the law allow us to heal on the Sabbath? He says to them, what if one of your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath day? Won't you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So the law allows us to do good on the Sabbath day. The point of the story is, does the law allow us to do good? What do you think the answer to that is? What do you think? Take a wild guess. Amazing. Yes, the answer is yes. Does the law allow us to do good? Yes. In this time, you don't even have to know all the texts back and forth. He's just literally appealing to common sense. No one would leave a sheep in a pit, yo. 
Therefore, no one would leave a human being hurting. They have lost their sense of mercy and goodness and compassion and kindness. And the story of faith has become a trap. A way to find people out. A way to use a flashlight and beam it out and be like, who in here? It's going to be caught out by this beam. I think maybe we've all experienced that. The shaming light. That's actually a trap. For these people, they've lost mercy and goodness and kindness. And faith has become a trap a way to find people out, to catch people out. And the thing about a trap is that it's arbitrary, right? When we set traps, you don't set them out in the open. You set it, you like, I always think of the movie that comes to mind is that one where the little kid gets left behind, you know? What's it called? Yeah, Home Alone. And he sets all these booby traps about, you know? And he, they're like, they don't see them. That's the thing about a trap is that it's arbitrary. You just don't know where your next step is and then kapow, here comes the paint, right? Jesus and his closest experience, people closest to him have experienced these traps. We move now from chapter 12 over to chapter 11. We're going to leave that lovely, beautiful invitation in between. We're going over here. To chapter 11. And this is what Jesus says. When John came, he didn't eat or drink as you do. And people say, he has a demon. But when the Son of Man, Jesus, came, he ate and drank as you do. And people say, this fellow is always eating and drinking too much. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John and Jesus are caught in the arbitrary trap. John, Jesus' cousin and dear friend, is too serious for them. Dude's just taking it too seriously. Jesus, Jesus is too free. And the effect of the people and these mirrors, these reflections, these beams back to them, is profound on Jesus and John. The same way that that effect can be profound on us when we experience burdeners. The text shows us that this actually contributes to John's doubt of who Jesus is. In verse 2 and 3. And it contributes to Jesus lamenting and warning the people. And Jesus gets so angry at the burdeners, he has some super intense words for them. When it gets to chapter 23 of Matthew, it goes full, full bore on the burdeners. Have a read of Matthew chapter 23. Beginning of it, it says this, Jesus spoke to the crowds and the disciples, and this is what he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who are they? 
The burden is, yes. Since we don't have any scripture, you might as well chip back to me. Jesus spoke to the crowds and his, his disciples, to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the burdeners. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry. And then they put them on other people's shoulders. He goes on through the whole section of Matthew 23, again, really worth a read. And he talks about how they have forgotten mercy and faithfulness, that they are harsh and sharp and uncaring, that they are hypocrites demanding so much, but are themselves so empty. And I have to admit that this week, when I was reading Jesus' words, I was so comforted by it. Because often I feel so angered by the burdeners. And I feel so angered by myself when I am myself a burdener. So I was comforted by Jesus' words. Because it's important to respond when we lose sight of our own humanness or we lose sight of other people's humanness. They have burdened and we have burdened each other with excessive expectations, regulatory behaviors, ideas of correctness. And we can't love from there. Which is why I think Jesus gets so angry about it. So there he is, being called a drunk, and John's too serious. And over here, he's being accused on the Sabbath, the day of rest, of not understanding who God is. And between these two passages, this is the context of these words. The arbitrary, heavily loaded expectations, social, political shame. Jesus, aware of all of this, is calling out to the heavily loaded. To the religious, yes, but to the wider crowds, and he says, come here to me. Come here to me. I will give you rest. Another translation which I love is, I will set you in all quietness. Love that. Come here to me and I will set you in all quietness. I like that because the internal narration, the story that I'm telling myself about myself can get really loud. It can be so familiar, so deep-rooted. Or the story that I'm telling over someone else, I can be so sure of it, so convinced I am correct about them. Or when I hear the story told over me, it can feel so loud and heavy and true. Which is why it's a gift that Jesus says he wants to give us rest from it. 
I will set you in all quietness so that you can hear your way through the noise. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, or another translation, kind, which I like better because it doesn't always feel easy journeying with Jesus. My yoke is kind to bear, and my burden is light. The stories about human identities that are out of grandiosity and shame are lies. We are not fundamentally inferior or superior to one another. Our essential worth, Missio, it cannot be earned or unearned. It's yours at birth. Your essential value is yours at birth and it remains yours until you die. In Christianity, we call that the imago. We are image bearers, which is what Johnny talked about last week. From Genesis 1, the story of what it means to be human is that we are living icons, that we reflect goodness, the wonder and beauty of God into the world. That's the story of the beginnings, that we are born in goodness and the name that is given over us is that we are very good. So any stories that come from above or below are false stories. They are a challenge to our true identity. Again, last week Johnny talked about this from Genesis chapter 3. It was the moment where that identity was first challenged. Where God's goodness came into question. Are you enough? Was the question that was asked in that passage. And then a seed of self-doubt that called and incited us into a whole new world of stories about identity, competition. That up and down swing began to happen. And Arrhenius, an old church father, calls that the old wound. That was the old wound. And out of that old wound has grown stories that shape, that rename, re-rehearse, recall us into identities that are false. And so I just want to talk about the two for the last minute as we close up here that we've talked about this morning, the story of shame. It's an identity which is assessment of fundamental value that says that I am not worthy. That I am not lovable. That I am too much or that I'm not enough. That comes from that old wound and it regurgitates itself in stories that like us to believe identities about ourselves that are lies. And the story of grandiosity is the same. It's an essential value pointed outward. You are not worthy. You are not enough. 
Guilt. Guilt is a different story. Guilt is a story of I did wrong. It's adaptive. It can be really constructive and growth producing because it moves us towards each other in repair. Guilt walks us back from thoughtlessness and self-centered behavior and invites us to reach towards in order to re-embrace. Guilt is a different story. But, sneaky, guilt and shame can get together. And then another story emerges. Or, like I said, there's that feeling of guilt that comes when you're not actually guilty. They can co-mingle like a really good friend with a really toxic friend. And it gets confusing. Which is why we need the practices of learning and unlearning where we are and what stories we're telling ourselves. And I really wish we had the slides because there was going to be a really good thing that we were going to do together and they aren't there. And it feels harder to do without the slides, but we're going to give it a go. You've been listening for a long time. So maybe just like move a bit because we're going to do some work on what's shame and what's guilt. And, you know, doing some lifts is not easy. These are some emotional lifts that we're going to do. So we're going to dive in. Because we need to unlearn some things in order to have secured identities. Shame. Shame is the story that I am bad. I am not enough. Where does that show up for you? Where do you feel like you're not enough? Is it at work? Is it in a certain relationship? Is it with a family member where you feel small? That feeling of smallness, that's shame. Don't say that too long. When shame, the story of shame is rehearsing in us, we need to find our way to the practice of internalizing our God-given value. When the story of shame shows up, we need to find our way to the practice of internalizing our God-given value. You are enough. You might just even be fine. You're fine. You're okay. You're embraceable. You're worthy of love and belonging. That's rehearsing the story of God-given value. When grandiosity shows up, where the story is, I am good and you are not. We have to find our way to the practice of seeing ourselves and others as human, equal, belonging together. So when you are up there on your high horse looking down at someone, you need to talk yourself down. That is the practice of talking yourself down, eye to eye, 
Not only are you worthy of being eye to eye with other people, you bring yourself down so that you are eye to eye with other people. When you are rehearsing that story, what's the practice? Seeing ourselves and others as human, equal, belonging together. When there is guilt mixed with shame, that's a sneaky one. The story is, I did something wrong and so I'm bad. That's that co-mingle, bad mixed drink, yo. Don't drink it. Spit it out, put it down. Guilt mixed with shame. I did something wrong, so I am bad. (laughs) Spit it out. That's a hard no. Right? Where that's the story that you were rehearsing to yourself, you want to find your way to a practice of I did wrong. I'm not bad. I will repair the consequences. I did something wrong. When we have that sense of identity, we can take responsibility for that. I did something wrong. I am not bad. I can repair the consequences. Last one. The feeling of false guilt. What the people, the burdeners were doing to the disciples. The feeling of false guilt mixed with shame. You know what that story is? I did wrong and I am bad. When we haven't done anything wrong, we need to find our way to the story of I didn't do anything wrong and I am not bad. That's the practice. The goal is to sort it all out which is why we need what Jesus calls the rhythms of grace and a yoke that is not ill-fitting, right? It's easy to put a yoke on someone. Oh, you just need to apologize. If someone hasn't done anything wrong, what is that? It's an ill-fitting yoke. Oh, you should feel bad about that. Should you feel bad about it? In order to take responsibility, but should you feel bad about yourself as a person? No, that's an ill-fitting yoke. All kinds of ill-fitting yokes that try and find their way on us, which is why we need rhythms of grace to be able to sort it out. And the rhythms of grace are contextual, which is why I've done all this work with us today, because as believers, as people of faith, we have to be careful not to put ill-fitting yokes on each other. To be quick to speak about where another person is or why they're where they're at. Because grace is contextual. It's about responding to a particular set of circumstances as they've played out in a particular situation with particular kinds of people. And there is no one formula for that. There's not a one size fits all. I wish there was, but there's not. There's a story that's playing out. And it's a story that we have to attend to and hear in our bodies between people, family, workmates, friends, in a community or a society. And the tools that we need to sort it out are rhythms that listen and learn. 
And as we listen and learn, it's like magic. The path will unveil itself in front of us. That's the rhythm of grace that we will be invited to. It'll be a brave path and a way forward. It'll be a way forward that respects others and that respects yourself and that respects the context and the story. And what you need to listen for is the humble and gentle heart of Jesus who is never going to attach something ill-fitting to you. And that will feel kind and light. Even the harsh words to the burdeners are kind words. And they're in contrast to the heavy weights of shame that land on you and the cruelty of being over other people. And so I'm just going to invite you to a prayerful practice this week. And again, I wish I had a slide. It's an Ignatian practice, Ignatian spirituality, that at the end of the day asks you to reflect on your day. So as you think about your identity and the stories that you tell yourselves, at the end of the day, maybe just for the next week, find a quiet place. And offer gratitude for the day. And then review the events of the day and take notice about what surfaces. Where did you get small? Where did you puff up and get big? There's no shame to attach to that. It's just rehearsing the day. And then when you pray from those stories, I would just ask that you would listen to the response of God that will be a response of love. And you may not be able to hear in the quiet, a response of love. So then, call a friend. And then ask for grace in the new day. And then live into that grace the next day. Maybe I'll email that out this week since you can't take a picture of it. I was going to have you take a picture of it. And these are the kinds of practices that lead us to the whole story. To tell the truth about ourselves. Jesus wants us to come. All of us. Who are struggling. Struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. And we all are. And he will give you rest. Set you in all quietness. Learn from him. His voice is gentle and humble because that's where his heart is. His yoke isn't ill-fitting. It fits perfectly. It's kind. And because it fits perfectly, it's easy to carry. It's light. Missio, my prayer for you this week 
even if it's just for one week, that you will find yourself set into all quietness. And that in that place of quietness, you will hear the rhythm of grace. And that you will live into that rhythm of grace. And by living into that rhythm of grace, you will be able to stay eye to eye with all the humans that you encounter. And in staying eye to eye with all the humans that you encounter, you will have a deep-rooted sense of generosity, of kindness, of truth-speaking in love, of mercy. And that from that space, you will hold on to your own humanity and you will see the humanity of those around you. Let's pray. Jesus, if anything from today, I just pray that we would see that the lies are hard to untangle. And that while we might feel like it's easy for us to correct other people, it will take us some time to learn the story and the weight that they carry and why they carry the weight that they do. And so I pray that we as a community would be a community who are ourselves humble and gentle of heart. I pray that the stories that we will rehearse for ourselves will be rehearsed out of a deep understanding of our God-given value. And that we will catch ourselves when stories of shame or grandiosity usurp that story of value. And I pray that ultimately we would enter into rest. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.